Heavy Hops is a Scorched Tundra production. You can access all our episodes with detailed show notes and information about upcoming events by visiting scorchedtundra.com slash heavyhops. Be sure to follow us on your preferred social media platform. Subscribe, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access podcasts. Thanks for supporting us and enjoy the show. We are like the, the the people involved in the hardcore scene. Just when it was exploding and and it was all over media and all over the news and not just because of the music, but also because of the politics. Welcome to Heavy Hops. My name is Alexi. My name's Sam. This is Umeå Hardcore Part Two. Keep it real. Mark Stromberg is an illustrator and musician who grew up with the Umeå Hardcore scene one generation after Johannes. Mark recalls an era when genre torchbearers from around the world, such as Earth Crisis, Biohazard, The Locust, and Ignite, trekked thousands of miles outside of a conventional tour routing to play in Umeå. The attraction Mark and others in his age group had to the movement was driven by a breadth of interest. Hardcore music, veganism, animal rights activism, and living a straight-edge lifestyle all the while supported by a safe infrastructure of drug and alcohol-free youth centers, an education system that embraced musical pursuits, and nurturing musicians turned role models. As generations grew out of the Umeå hardcore scene, younger kids replaced them, arranging and promoting shows, putting out records, and actively engaging critical facets of elevating a wider youthful music scene. We end on the decline of Umeå hardcore, which may be attributed to larger swings in the music industry. Mark argues new wave underground hardcore music is dominated by solo artists that are genre agnostic, less interested in band democracy, and gravitate away from traditional album structures. Mark, welcome to Heavy Hops. We're really glad to have you to talk about Umia Hardcore. Oh, thank yeah. you. <laughs> My honor. Yeah. Also, um, wearing a, a donut shirt. <laughs> to celebrate oh, excellent. the occasion. Excellent. Well, I don't know where to start. Maybe let's um, let, tell us a little bit about you, and um, then we can dive into where Umia is and kind of what it is. But tell us a little bit about you, uh, first and foremost. My name is Mark Strumberg, Strumberg, like the the James Bond uh, villain. Uh, and I was mm-hmm. born up in in Umeå, in the north of uh, Sweden, Scandinavia, 1986. And uh, I grew up uh, with the uh, Umeå hardcore scene during the 90s and and 2000s. And I started playing in bands when I was uh, 10 years old. When I started going to hardcore shows. And uh, I've been working since uh, since I was I've been working professionally since since I was in my uh, teens uh, as an illustrator and, and graphic designer, and now I'm freelancing since uh, 2004, just by my by myself as uh, mainly an, an illustrator, uh, but I also do graphic design and record covers and illustrations for people at home and all that sort of stuff and beer cans and soda cans. That's it. Mm-hmm. I live in Stockholm now since uh, two years back. I've been bouncing back and forth. Mm-hmm. And uh, tell us about uh, Paul de Ekta and your uh, musical, the your musical endeavors. Oh yeah, uh, 
yeah, like I said, I, I started playing in bands when I was 10, just like uh, punk bands. Then I started playing, I know, you know, during the 90s, uh, the hardcore scene really exploded in, in Umeå with, and becoming sort of a, a European hardcore mecca where American bands would, would often play like the standard shows in the UK and, and Germany and, and then like skip the rest and just come up to Umeå and play, play uh, shows there, like b bigger bands like Biohazard and Ignite and Earth Crisis and Strife and Snapcase and a bunch of those bands. So we got exposed to like quality hardcore bands at a very young age and Refused uh, is from here, maybe the, the biggest band known from, from this area. And they had a record company and they booked shows and then they went out with all these bigger bands. So I think Umu had a really good reputation around the world from that time with, with bands like Refused and Abinanda and Final Exit and a bunch of those bands. So even like when I had bands, when I was, I was like 12, 13 years old, we played with like the, uh, the grind band, the locust. And we played with, um, uh, maybe, oh, that was a little later, but Das Oath, uh, Mark McCoy's band from, from Charles Bronson and catharsis. And like, we, we got to play with these big bands as well, even though we were, we were just little kids. Mm -hmm. So, so that was it. And I, I later played in, uh, oh yeah, I had a whole deck that was a band, uh, in Swedish. It's, uh, keep it real in the Swedish. And we were kind of, maybe, maybe we'll jump into that time period later, but that was like the, maybe the third wave of, of the Umeå hardcore scene. And mm -hmm. I later played with uh, an American band called First Blood, who mainly uh, tours, still mainly tours in, in Europe. So I played with them and I had another band called uh, Kidnapped and uh, uh, X Forever Young, X and my first real hardcore band 61 minute void named uh, uh after a, a turmoil song mm -hmm. that was it maybe i, I think that was uh, that's all the the official hardcore bands i, I was playing with and i uh, since whole deck i haven't played in the band I, I just do the record covers for a bunch of bands now and merch designs mm -hmm. um so you know leading into your time in music when you were a kid growing up in Umea, can you describe kind of what it was like when you were younger? Who are the kind of people who live there? And um, why did you decide to ultimately leave in the end? I think I grew up, Umea is still a small town. I, I think that we have like 130,000 uh, people living there. Mm -hmm. So we all like the, the the people involved in the hardcore scene just when it was exploding and and it was all over media and all over the news and not just because of the music but also because of the politics because these people from here would be in, in big national uh, like primetime shows talking about animal rights issues and and straight edge and you know drug-free lifestyle and like defending there was a lot of a lot of uh, uh, stuff happening here, like uh, uh, fast food restaurants getting set on fire and, and like meat transportation trucks getting set on fire and a lot of, uh, a lot, a lot of those kinds of things. So, so it was both the political and the musical stuff. And the school that I was going to in, in, 
when I was going to uh, fourth and fifth grade, we had people working there like, uh, uh, what do you call it? like um, class assistants mm -hmm. or, or, or people working at the, the music rooms from all these hardcore bands. So a couple of those guys, uh, the bass player from, from Separation, uh, a big Umi hardcore band, he worked at, at my school at, at some time at the appropriate time. And he likes, he sold me records and he introduced me to bands and he gave me mixtapes and everything. So, and started inviting us to shows. So we got exposed to that through them. And, you know, like we'd see Dennis from Refused, the singer from Refused, uh, downtown when we were there. And he was as big of an idol to us as like Arnold Schwarzenegger or, or Kurt Cobain, you know, you just have that level of, this is like the big celebrity with the difference that we could meet him at the grocery store at any time. Mm -hmm. And we play shows with them and they were so inviting. And then they had like a small restaurant, uh, a small uh, record store. And there was a um, Hare Krishna restaurant here that everyone went to. So it's weird that you have like your biggest idols in, in your, in your city. Mm -hmm. uh, but then me leaving Umeå has nothing to do with the hardcore scene. It has to do with more, personal stuff and me getting in, in trouble with the police and, and stuff like that. So, mm. and I also love Stockholm here is where my best friend, uh, Cleo lives and her son, which is like, I'm a uncle Mark to him. So I really wanted to be close to them and all the people in Umeå in my age group and my friend circle are getting kids and moving out of the city, uh, core. There's less people to hang with and me having trouble and I want some environmental change. Uh, this was great. I love Stockholm for this. Just go out and get stimulated. And I'm also like a lonely wolf as it is. So I can just be anywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you kind of touched on some of the political aspect of hardcore with, um, the environmental aspect and then the fast food burning yeah. restaurant burnings as well. Do you feel the hardcore scene, at least when you were a part of it was in direct opposition to capitalism or what you saw, um, was going on in Sweden at the time, or was it just a product of youthful ignorance almost you could say? Oh no. I think that you had that in, in the U S as well, where, hardcore, the hardcore uh, punk scene was very tied into politics mm -hmm. and very uh, aware of, of social issues. That's, that's, that's why you had the, the, uh, the big vegan straight edge uh, revolution and, and like those trends and even like the heavier stuff like hardline and, and really, really uh, polit political uh, issues. And then also because Sweden is already, you know, like a socialist social democracy uh, lean country and Umeå being a, a university town. So you have this big influx and change of, of young people coming and going all the time, exploring and, and debating and everything. So it was, and I've noticed that as well later in, in the U S where hardcore and hardcore isn't, isn't as tied to uh, politics as much as we, had it here in, in Sweden and still have in some ways. And also where even people that are straight edge that, that are drug free and everything 
aren't tied to uh, animal rights. Where that, where that is, it's very un unusual still here in Sweden to be straight edge and not be a, a vegetarian or a vegan. So we mm -hmm. always tied into that, like most bands had in, in the, at, at the, the, the distro merch tables that shows, you always had an equal amount of just shirt designs with big logos and live photos and, and uh, like the, the Unity slogans and, and hardcore slogans as well as book tables from, from animal rights organizations and uh, uh, political uh, organizations. So it's weird to me. I always tied it together so much. And also the, the bands that that were my favorite bands that I grew up with, like like the New York uh, Syracuse uh, hardcore band Earth Crisis and all those bands, they were so heavily tied to politics and, and being aware of, of all those issues that, that formed me as well. I mean, I. I started to call myself straight edge when I was 11 years old. So I, I never even had time to drink or try anything before that. I've just been, I've just been drug free all my life. And I was raised a vegetarian by my mom. who's also like a, a socialist, uh, a feminist activist growing up mm. and, and animal rights activist. So I've just, that is the, the mold I've, <laughs> I've been formed in since birth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And many of the many of the people also still have that awareness, even though they're not involved now. When they grow up and grow grow out of the hardcore scene, they still carry with them a lot of the politics. Still, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, can can you paint a little bit of a picture uh, for us of the political landscape in Sweden in like two thousand or around the time that uh, that you were beginning to become active in bands and things like that. Oh, we had maybe that was a little later, but but Sweden became a little more open. It was very old-fashioned socialist through the seventies and and eighties, where we you know we have a state state-owned uh, uh, media and alcohol outlets at this time. Oh, we still have it now, I should say, but 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 more more of more of the openness and and like the um, the, uh, the the capitalist capitalist uh, economy began to grow and, and the market opened up a little more during the 90s. So I guess that's why also it was a, a bit of reaction to it, you know, mm -hmm. very forbidden to uh, mm -hmm. to uh, consume Coca-Cola and stuff like that. And you had all those, like the, the hardcore pastiche shirts, like making fun of Nike and, and Adidas and Coca-Cola. Mm -hmm. But it began to open up. So I'm, I'm still, I still grew up more with, with the, with the new world, you know, where I consumed, I was, I, I, I was like raised in front of MTV because my mom was working also. And I, I just, MTV is my upbringing, like, and, and all, and all the, uh, you had two, we had, we had two new TV uh, channels around this time, uh, channel three and channel five, where they showed, American toy commercials and like American cereal commercials. So my head is like 99% of those commercials, like for, for action figures and toys and, and, uh, uh, fast food stuff and candy. And that's like my, my best thing. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's like, that's, 
that's my, my head is filled with that and cartoons began to come here mm -hmm. and that's like that's that's been my life since then so I'm, I'm very happy to have grown up with that and and like all, all the 90s and late 90s and early 2000s music videos on mtv mm -hmm. so uh, i'm happy i'm a i'm a little freer in that you know that's been my inspiration since then and it's it's uh, freed itself since then even for bands like refused and, and those guys who who were at the forefront of the the uh, uh, political battle from from the 90s mm -hmm. so so the third like kind of like the the first wave you could say of, of immortal was earlier bands like garbage pale kids and refused that that later formed into oh uh, sorry step forward that later formed into refused and abinanda and final exit perusum donuts like anyone who, who owns uh, the cd compilations from that time called straight edge as fuck or northcore there were cd compilations with the bands from here know no, these bands uh and this uh, that kind of fizzled out after a while and then the second wave came with which was more like old school punk dc punk hardcore influence where, where it wasn't as metal influenced you where you had like uh, bands like um ds13 many people know that band because they were maybe the biggest international band from that time and and uh tear it up uh, no sorry tear it up Th those are that's an american band but but they uh toured with that band like that style of music his hero is gone and tragedy like the the more crust punk and punk leaning stuff and that wave came and went and then the third wave that was I lived in Stockholm for a while and then I came home and then we kind of me, my band and a bunch of other bands kind of started the third wave of Umi Hardcore where we even got younger kids going to shows again. So we were suddenly the, the like the older bunch arranging shows and putting out records and, and getting people to come to shows. Mm -hmm. um, and then that wave kind of died again when, and now, you know, like I said, my my age group started getting kids and starting having to uh, become gr uh, real grown-ups. I didn't, but but uh, and then that wave kind of died as well, and, and that's where we are now. Like the fourth wave haven't really grown or mm -hmm. or come back. Mm -hmm. um, for for you and for uh, folks that were kind of a part of your wave or your generation. Um, do you feel as though the, uh, infrastructure that was offered as far as like the study circles and the support for bands locally, um, was crucial in fostering, uh, the growth of, of the musicality of your generation? That's always the thing you hear about Scandinavian bands where, where we, we, uh, were offered uh, spaces where we could rehearse and play and, and get like musical support where we uh if we wanted to like release a record or or go on tour we could always apply for economical uh, support from the government and that was so so important uh, like all the way back to when i was 10 years old where we had rehearsal space at the schoolyard where we could just run on on lunch break and and play with our bands for an hour and then go back to like math mm -hmm. that was that was crucial because most of us didn't have 
we couldn't afford our own instruments or, or stuff like that. So we could always go there and, and play drums and play guitars and everything. Mm. Up until now, when we were grown up, like we always had rehearsal spaces connected to uh, connected to those social study groups. Mm-hmm. Always. Um, yeah, I think those, you know, the those government funded programs are important for keeping the arts alive, you know, and it it fosters a growth for people who otherwise wouldn't have an option to um, play guitar or drums, like you were saying. And um, it is uh, kind of unfortunate that those programs have seemed to die down a little bit. Um, do you think this ties into a little bit of why you're seeing a stagnant growth in the hardcore scene now? Or do you think there's just not as much interest in it from the youth of today for some reason or other? No, I don't think it has to do with that. You can still, it's still easy to apply for all of that stuff. We have a bunch of organizations still doing that. Mm-hmm. My drums, my drums are still packed in a rehearsal space. We still pay rent for up in up in Umeå along with a bunch of those other bands because just people need to store their stuff somewhere. But mm. I think it has more to do with just uh, the the climate within the music industry. Like people aren't as psyched about just regular rock bands. And I think the new wave new wave of underground like hardcore punk related music now is being is being held forth by these uh, solo artists like these uh, kids mixing genres mm. like you have a, a like like ghost main or a, mm, people just not caring about i have to be a hardcore kid influenced by the 80s scene or the 90s scene mm-hmm. they don't care they shouldn't because you always have to rev- like a uh, revolt against uh, the the previous generation so I mean, these these younger kids are are mixing hip hop and pop punk and hardcore and metal and electronic stuff in in ways that are incredible, and they mm-hmm. should be inventing their own stuff. I think it would be like oh yeah, like you have a, a rock band like uh, Greta Van Fleet, you know them, <laughs> the guys that are always get accused yeah. of of sounding like Led Zeppelin, and yeah, I we love could that. argue all day. Yeah, <laughs> they do. <laughs> I, I love that band actually because I think they're so good and they're so fun. Because, but they only, they only charm guys like me from thirty-five and older because, because, because they tingle that little no- nostalgic uh, nerve mm-hmm. for us, and no other kids care. Yeah, like, like you have to be a band like uh, even even the, like the, the biggest young metal band, uh, Code Orange. Mm-hmm. Who, who mix stuff and make stuff of their own and, and they mix in uh, industrial stuff and electronic stuff and and, and collaborate with other ar- artists like younger artists and DJs and producers. I think mm-hmm. that's what you have to do and, and you always have to reinvent stuff because that's been the problem with metal and rock for so long that it's been like a nostalgic genre. Mm-hmm. So in order, in order to be with the times and influence new kids, you have also have to change and, and take in new stuff. So I'm waiting for that to happen in Umeå then, because it's gonna be like some some young girl from from the like the poorer parts of of uh, uh, Umeå 
mixing like heavy electronic chaos stuff with electric guitars and screaming. Mm -hmm. That's it. I think, um, I mean, I definitely agree with you. And uh, as far as bands that I think are really pushing the boundaries in hardcore, I mean, the biggest one you already said is Code Orange. I feel they're, they're doing a lot for the scene, but then you have some smaller bands like Horror who are mixing, yeah. you know, rap and that deep electronic heaviness but then they'll they'll blast you away with guitars at the same time, you know, and it's a it's a cool fusion to see in a genre that for the most part has sounded pretty stagnant for 20, 30 years. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I'm I'm curious to see kind of where it's heading, but I think there's a good indication by, you know, the up and coming class uh, throughout, at least here in the US of what you could kind of expect to see in Umea, you know? Yeah, I think it's so funny. I think that our age group was the last ones that really cared about genres and, and cliques where, where you had to name yourself. Like, I'm a, I'm a hardcore kid or I'm a metal, I'm a metal kid. And then it just all went away because, you know, the, uh, my, pre my previous generation was the ones that had to separate themselves either as hard rockers or synth uh, people. <laughs> we had that big battle, like synths against rock. And, and before that, you had disco versus rock. Mm -hmm. And then it just all went away. So now you have like big artists as well. Like, uh, oh, okay, maybe like a, oh, a band uh, uh, artist named Poppy or mm -hmm. other people where on their album, if they even release an album, you know, no one is, no one is, no one needs to release an album anymore. You just release singles and you release EPs closer to each other and they have like a pop song and then you have like a, a cloud rap song and then you have the metal song and they they just mix everything i think it's so good rather than being because like the first wave of umi hardcore or uh, like the refused one in the 90s were more metal inspired and then you when you had this the the second wave with ds13 and those bands they went back more to the punk side of it and the early Washington minor threat and all that stuff. And then our wave kind of took the metal thing back again. So mm -hmm. we were also like nostalgists in, mm -hmm. in, in that way. And just like when it's back, we are like, we want the 90s style. So it's mm -hmm. so good now that no one cares about that. And, and some metal bands, like traditional metal bands, have started to figure out that they shouldn't release just an album every three years. They, they release EPs or they release singles to go with the like the Spotify flow and just staying active all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, I was just going to say, I think when you see successful artists that really are able to have a prolonged career, you see them often as groups that, um, I wouldn't say like, I hate the word disrupt, but that, um, that aren't really conjoined with a movement, rather a movement kind of follows them. Um, and then over time, they uh, they kind of transcend boundaries. And I think that you know there are some bands from the from the hardcore scene in Sweden in general that have kind of done that. And I want to kind of try to tie this back into uh, our political conversation. And one of the things that I've really observed from the uh, the the study circles and the subsidized practice spaces is the fact that 
it encourages those genres of music that are uh, less represented. So it, in fact, like the person that plays jazz for five people, it, it, you know, in a community center is just as valuable to that organization as a band going into, uh, into other markets because the small band that will get lost if, uh, if they don't support it. Whereas the thing that's big enough to have its own energy, you're supporting it for a different reason, because then that's like, that's a diff that's a different kind of enterprise business enterprise decision versus a decision of, um, supporting music, uh, as a, uh, cultural expression or like a personal expression almost. And I was kind of wondering, uh, if, you saw any correlation between sort of uh, avant-garde types of music or uh, yeah, avant-garde types of music and the hardcore scene. You often see avant-garde uh, pitted along with uh, anti-capital and anti-bourgeois sort of uh, sentiment. We still have, yeah, that, I, and I think that uh, that's also a, a, a factor of being in a smaller town. When we had, I think the best shows happened in during the the wave with DS13, mm -hmm. like that wave of of hardcore. Because then we always had shows where where it was not only hardcore bands, but you had one hardcore band and like one goth band, one emo band, and then you had a DJ. Then you had uh, some hip hop stuff. Those that like the mix between everything because we knew that we're all in the same, coming from the same underground culture. At the end of it, uh, not just because of our political issues. It doesn't matter. Like, oh yeah, that crew is straight edge, and those aren't. And like those people like to uh, nail themselves to the wall, hang from the ceiling. Uh, I think that's the best kind of of unity that that we could feel like you shouldn't have you shouldn't have a show where the build is for hardcore bands that sounds just the same or for metal bands should always have that mix mm -hmm. with stuff so, so i think we definitely uh found a, a kinship just between those bands where where n no one is no one expects to have it as a full full-time job we're just we just want to play some stuff until we get uh, old enough where we have to get real jobs and, and can't do that anymore. Oh yeah, also the refused record from ninety ninety eight Shape of Punk to Come. It still sounds more progressive than most bands today. Like pe people are uh, mm -hmm. try to copy it since mm -hmm. then. Yeah, yeah. Even though maybe it's uh, two songs too long, I would skip the the last two songs anyway. Also, I think I, th I think the thing about uh, like the rehearsal space is becoming not not as popular, or or, or people turning turning to uh, those kind of options to to get to play their music. It's also because what what's if if you want to play music and you need support, you can do that by by turning to one of uh, like uh, get a get a grant to to have a rehearsal space and and lend instruments, but it's even easier to just get a home studio and program everything yourself. So I think what we're seeing and why people aren't involved with those systems anymore is because it's even easier to sit at home 
you can mm. just program all the drums and do all that stuff and you you don't need five people to to have a, like a band democracy and you have to no i want the verse to go to go into the bridge and then to the chorus and then the bass player says oh, i want to play an a to to b on the, on this one and then go to g like if you have if you don't have to go through all that stuff and just make you can make music with two people or just by yourself then most people are going to do that so that's also why i think we we see this trend of, of more solo artists doing it that way because mm -hmm. i i also did like a majority like how i learned to play music was also just sitting by myself from from when i was 10 with a small porta studio like a, a four four channel tape porta and just recording stuff by myself so i recorded hundreds of songs by myself and like 10 times more than i've done with real bands mm -hmm. so i think also that's the trend why why we see this trend now of, of a, a like a lowered a lack of lack of interest in, in forming full bands mm -hmm. yeah i think you know the current state of music technology definitely lends itself to uh personal creativity more so than um you know in a band setting i mean i'm i'm in the same boat you know i I'm, I love recording by myself and it's so easy to do now, you know? And it was a real ugly period in the early days when you had, when you could start uh, to trigger drums, mm -hmm. like you could hear, you could, you can hear all those metal records from like the early two thousands where, you know, like the snare hit sounds exactly the same every time, even when they make like, like a fast part, like, um, like a transition and every hit is exactly the same volume and exactly the same power yeah. oh that was a dark period yeah. even now you could hear like oh these are definitely programmed drums yeah but, i think we're coming out of it but yeah yeah um, like you, you, and you've had a a bunch of like uh, covid covid year uh, metal albums coming out now that that you can hear also was just made at home like mm -hmm. presets and triggered uh, programmed drums and everything. Yeah, I do think you know if you're if you're savvy enough, you can make those kids sound good and you can make them sound real. It just it, it's a lot more work than people are willing to put in. I feel most of the time, so it gets you know kind of pushed pushed to the wayside a little. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather have I'd rather have real electronic drums where you can hear that it's a drum machine, mm -hmm. a drum loop, and then then just guitars on top of it than, than have trying to fake it like like trying trying to fake like uh you know hitting the cymbal a little wrong or hitting the the, the edge of the drum like a flare mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah i well i welcome the electronic stuff i love that scene now yeah i love i love, I love the 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 genre lesson boundary boundary defying stuff that they do they just piss on every old rock dude. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, you know, there's a lot in the electronic scene happening too, like a lot of moves, you know, like yeah. soft kill is awesome. And I think the way yeah. they're kind of blending themselves into the hardcore scene in the US is in uh I think it's awesome because not only does it give you a break when you're at a hardcore show from the constant, you know, pummeling riffs, um, it fits in so well. It's dark dream pop. It's, you know, you don't imagine it would fit in, but there you, you show up to a show and 
soft kills play and you're like i didn't know i needed this but yeah. this is awesome you know and also also the you know the the synth wave uh, trend that that popped up a couple of years ago mm -hmm. where everyone is copying like old 80s uh, horror movie soundtracks like john carpenter and all those other stuff that that scene is also really influenced by metal as well but they have mm -hmm. this big synth arpeggios and and synth uh soundscapes but they but they're so influenced it's like metal people doing synth music but it still has the exact metal attitude and and the vibe mm -hmm. you just see it spreading everywhere like just metal and rock music popping up in other genres yeah I, I think, you know, there's a common thread amongst all heavy music and that doesn't just span hardcore punk and metal, you know, that that's heavy is something that is not necessarily defined to a genre. It's more um, a state of mind of the creator, right? Yeah. And that's been even more important now during this year where, where you can, because rock and, and metal music is so focused on, on the live setting where mm -hmm. other music isn't. And right. you have to adapt in that way. That's the only way that only way that that heavy music can survive now if you can't play shows. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, kind of going back in time a little bit um, to 2001 in June for the Gothenburg riots. Um, how involved was the heavy music scene, specifically the Umea scene? Um, involved in this kind of tumultuous time um you know there was a lot going on in gothenburg with uh the opposition to eu membership and um you know the anti-globalization movement um as well as you know bush go home anti-war environmentalism how involved was umea uh the umea hardcore scene in all of that Oh, I, a lot of people from Umeå went down too. So, you know, it all culminated during those Gothenburg riots when George W. Bush visited this, the city. Mm -hmm. And it was like nothing, you know, you guys had a, uh, have had a bunch of wild, violent riots during all of history in, in, in the U.S. But it's more uncommon here in, in Sweden. That one was just off the hinge mm. everything like people and still we only had like there was only one guy getting shot mm -hmm. really small compared mm -hmm. to what you had but but that made big headlines and, and we had like i would i i sat him i had on a, a like a live feed for days ju just rolling on tv showing everything like you had so much press going on there and everyone was just waiting for it to culminate like it did where, where a cop uh, shot a guy like he, he didn't even he didn't even die but mm -hmm. like all the store windows and shops were getting were getting uh like windows thrashed and people burning stuff and everything a lot of people went went down there from from umio running around and 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 doing all these manifestations and and, and rioting so and that also like that mindset and that angle to look at the politics is just the exact same thing that we all grew up with. So I think it's very natural that it that it came to that. And that was also yeah. that was also a little reflective of, of some of the the stuff that people did here in Umeå during the nineties. 
mm-hmm. way bigger scale, of course. I mean, uh, McDonald's opened in Umeå and had to close because of of uh, activism. I think I might be wrong about this. People maybe can can check me on, on that, but I think that was like the, the first the first time that McDonald's had to close a restaurant in in Sweden. And then they opened again years later. But I mean, this hangs into my head so much still. Like now, as as an adult, where they have as big a vegetarian menu as any of the other fast food restaurants, I still haven't paid for anything, bought anything in McDonald's for my whole life, just because it's like ingrained in me from the '90s that I shouldn't mm-hmm. go there. Yeah. Would you uh, would you buy burgers, uh, vegan or vegetarian food from Max's? Yeah, yeah, Max. Max, Max. was early, and Max is also <laughs> from the north of Sweden. Max is awesome. I fucking yeah. love Max. <laughs> and um, we also have a a, a a chain now popping up in the last few years that I do all the illustration for. Like I do, I do wall paintings in all of their restaurants, and they're opening in in New York as well now in January. Okay. Uh, it's called Bastard Burgers. Also, a couple of guys, like old hardcore guys from from the north of Sweden, from Luleå. Nice. And they've gone really big because they're the first restaurant to have the entire menu available in vegan options as well. Oh wow! Yeah, I just pulled it up. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I had a question actually regarding um, not only the Gothenburg riots, but you know the the Umea protests too, where there's these physical manifestations of uh, lyrical topics. Do you think this is kind of the end? one of the end goals you could say i guess of um this scene is like physically manifesting what you're singing about or is it just a byproduct of um being young and wanting to act out what you're speaking about i think i think everything starts out with being young and trying to find an identity but those for most of us, those opinions still hang on when you're older. Mm-hmm. I know people. People always talk about. I'm going back to Earth Crisis, the the uh, American band that that was at the forefront in the '90s, known most for for like vegan straight edge uh, politics. And even even they they were seen as like the hardline guys, but I, I think people have realized that they're a lot a lot more. A lot cooler than than they people gave them credit for now, but but even they said in an interview that I, I mean um, a lot of people got influenced by us and, and got very militant militant and even though they gave up their their stance in later years they still do other good work that that maybe influenced them even even though maybe they're they like have a beer once in a while but they work as like an work at an animal shelter or they have they they choose they can choose a vegetarian option for when they go to the grocery store more often. I, I think also that a lot of the the, the manifestations kind of died, died down as society at large followed a lot of the politics that that we and the hardcore scene fought for. I mean, Sweden is really vegan and vegetarian friendly now. And, and like you have like the rich kid at like a big corporate company eating vegan food 
but the difference being that when we were young, we, we had vegan was you, you're vegan for the animals. And so you can eat like vegan candy bars. You can live on vegan candy bars. Whereas now most people that are vegan still have it as an argument maybe for themselves and for their own health. They do it for, for selfish reason, reasons. And more people are invested in the environment and talk about the environment where I think that in Sweden at large, I might be one of the least environmental involved people where I don't care and don't go to a, and don't uh, follow a lot, a lot of the, the, the manifestations and, and uh, like uh, big uh, environmental campaigns where Whereas like the regular Joe from across the street is doing much more for the environment than, than I have, but I have it like in my backbone, maybe a little more since I was a kid. So I just do the, the normal things that they really um, engage themselves in now. Does that make sense? You know what I trying to say? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that may be why, because we had demonstrations like once a week during the 90s and early 2000s in Umeå, you're like, okay, and this time it's uh, against this fur <clears throat> um, shop, or this time it's about uh, the, the mink farm outside of the city. And you know, you, you've heard that now as well, right? You have all the, a bunch of mink, mink farms are banned from having, uh, from being in business now because of Corona. Yeah, in Denmark, I saw that uh, yeah. especially two They're people shutting were... down everything, and in Finland mm -hmm. as well, I think. Wow, so that's like if that had happened in the '90s, we'd be celebrating so much, and I think a lot of people secretly is now as well. Mm -hmm. So creating uh, creating art for uh, for sodas and beers uh, is really kind of what you're focused on on nowadays. Yeah, I, I don't. Maybe it's not the, my like my main main occupation. I still do most just illustrations for for companies and a lot of just private commission work. That's that's still mm -hmm. the main one. But I've done a lot of beers and soda uh, cans. Mm -hmm. Just because I, I think my like uh, like my love for soda is also tied to that growing up with the '90s uh, kids commercials and stuff like that. It's it's a playful area for me. I, I don't I don't want the the snobbery or like the, the microbrewery snobbery. I just want the playful, colorful, fun stuff. Collecting mm -hmm. and, and keeping it keeping it um just low bar fun. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah just yeah. yeah just playing and trying fun fun flavors and crazy mixings and 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 like unhealthy uh coloring and uh stuff you shouldn't put in your body basically <laughs> but, but yeah my, my Some... favorite soda of this year is a, a soda company called jones an american company jones soda company i've heard of they that. Did oh a, yeah they, yeah they did a collab oh, yeah. with the, the american candy manufacturer warheads mm -hmm. so they did a mm -hmm. really really sour black cherry soda and it's the best thing i've i've ever had like i ordered everything that was important here in sweden and we still we, we pay like three point five dollars for for a a bottle. <laughs> the best one, yeah. Jones Warheads. Oh, I also had a, um, the the Crush uh, Sour Patch Kids collab. Mm 
crazy. Like I was, I was peeing blue color for two days. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I want. I don't want like the non-sugar, grown-up, non-sweet sodas. Mm -hmm. It's not what soda is for. Soda is supposed to be fun and, and bring out the kid in you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, a lot of people would argue the same with, you know, alcohol and, you know, all this low calorie movement or whatever. It's like, yeah, it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be indulgent. Like, stop, you know. Yeah. Stop, stop I see now. that. <laughs> you, 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 you got, I, I bet you guys follow like the, the BevNet news and stuff that's happening in the drink industry. Mm -hmm. And like, I think, I think that soda is gonna disappear in a couple of years. Like people don't want to drink stuff just for fun. They want, you know, they want functional drinks. Mm -hmm. They want stuff infused with uh, CBD or with just like a mineral water with uh, vitamins or, or electrolytes or, or like uh, BCAA uh, drinks or just like uh, uh, drinks either for your health to, to stay slim or to uh, when like before training. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think, you know, the funny thing about that is like, I look at those, um, you, you've seen those smoothie drinks, like the power, like they're loaded with all the um, fruits and then the greens too. Yeah, but yeah. if you look at, and they're, they're promoted as these healthy drinks, but they're loaded with like three times the sugar of a Coca-Cola. Yeah. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and so it's like, uh, what are you trying like you're trying to fool people what's what's going on here you know um, oh yeah, yeah and like just a nutrition talk even if they have like a fresh fruit juice pumped in there like no sugar zero percent sugar but you still have like uh, orange juice and you have bananas and you have all these stuff they like the you know the fruit sugar still turns into glucose in your body so you have just the same amount of sugar and you have like, yeah, you, you could have like 13, 14, 15 grams per hundred milliliters. Just like that's higher than a soda. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I, I think commercial, it's, uh, commercial yeah. <laughs> capitalist. No, I, I think that, um, that's an interesting idea that like soda as we know it and we remember it as kids and as, um, it sounds like you try to capture in the artwork that you create uh, for the for soda and beer and all that. Um, that that that's going to die is a really interesting idea, and I think that um, for a lot of like smaller brands, it's going to be more challenging. And as the as these trends sort of uh, evolve and things get set um, or become adopted permanently by the larger companies, then we may see uh, a lot of traditional sugary drinks go away or those brands morph into other into other things over time too, or they'll just get bought by large companies. Um, kind of like, uh, it, this is a loose correlation, but a little bit like uh, mainstream politics opting ideas like uh, or adopting ideas that are just good ideas like uh, vegetarianism, uh, like animal rights and all that. At a certain point, like 
the collective hubris has to adopt these things so that we can live a little bit healthier or so that we can include more people or so that more people can be included in mainstream politics. Yeah, that, that's, that's been, that, I have a really good example of that in Swedish politics where you guys have like two major parties. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yeah, uh, and we have, we have like 10, 10 of them. <laughs> and we had like, uh, back in the days, if you were, like a re- yeah, we have a really leftish party called called the uh, yeah just the, the left party, but we also have uh, a party called the environmental party that kind of popped up during during like the the green movement in the sixties and seventies, mm-hmm. uh, and nowadays they they are not needed because they they were more or less like a a, a single um, like a single topic party where they pushed just the environmental stuff to the government all the time in opposition. And now and, and like now, every party, even the, the, the right-wing parties have adopted their politics. So they're like just superfluous now. They're, they're, not, they're not needed. They have a really hard time keeping their voters because their voters might be interested in environmental stuff, but also about like the markets and other social issues. They're, they're not really needed anymore. Mm-hmm. That uh, is a much more constructive example of one that I was going to mention, and that's the Pirate Party. Uh, a little more <laughs> recently, <laughs> uh, you know, I think you could probably relate that to our Green Party here in the states, and you know, there, I think a large part of why that party doesn't really succeed outside of local politics is because of that very reason. But you know, if I see the on like in Chicago this year, we had um, like a water budget or like um, some some water treatment um, bill. I voted all green. Like that's Mm -hmm. who you want to vote for if they're going to be taking care of your water, right? But, you know, outside of that, it's kind of hard to support a party whose sole purpose is to um, protect the environment and there's no other real policy to you know, govern, so to speak, right? No, exactly. The uh, the sad thing about that particular vote uh, on our ballot was that if that party had put up one candidate instead of three, and everyone that had voted f- <laughs> for had voted for one, they would have actually won that position, um, which is uh, which is pretty insane. Yeah. Uh, it's also kind of weird that the same party would run three people for a local whatever yeah. local politics don't matter uh <laughs> with that with that uh, said though yeah if uh i would probably vote for a, a soda party a soda party mm. yeah <laughs> for the, the, the soda, soda party soda fountains at every school we need we need a soda party and a pizza party <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and like and, and at home you have a you have a double tap so you could have a, a water tap and just a soda <laughs> everyone would be happy <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> oh, oh man, I would be so, you know, every time I try a, a new soda now where I have like a, a, a good soda, I always try it in the shower, like keeping it really, really cold and just putting on a very hot sauna. Oh, sorry, a hot, hot shower, closing the door so you get like a bathroom sauna mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. trying it for the first time. It, it would be so much easier if I could just close the door and put the shower on and you just got the soda straight from the shower. <laughs> 
I just want to bathe in my uh, my beer. This is my beer, my beer shower. Bathe in soap. <laughs> I love oh it. man, what a what a life that would be, right? Uh, the oh, lap of luxury. I feel like that's a Mr. Deeds moment or something where the Kool-Aid comes out of the water fountain. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, I'm, I'm making it happen. When I, when I become a millionaire from, from doing my stupid illustrations, we'll see it here first. <laughs> Keep my eyes open. World's first apparently in a, uh, Yeah, apparently in a Parks and, uh, and Rec episode, too, so... Uh, oh yeah, there you let's, go. Let's all rewatch that someday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had a we had like a couple of other questions. It looks like uh, yeah. for uh, our conversation here, mm-hmm. um, and one thing that I was really interested in is you had a lot of other movements in Scandinavia, particularly like the uh, movement around uh, Ungdomshuset in Copenhagen. Uh, where there was like a lot of political activity now was like a pretty central meeting place for uh, the far left in, uh, in Denmark and probably in some ways, maybe even for like Skåne in the South of Sweden too, on account of proximity. Um, and so I kind of wonder if uh, there was a lot of like communication and if uh if there were other movements that you found allegiance with around uh, the Nordics? No. I think Skåne and particularly Malmö is very tied to Denmark as well. Malmö is like the coolest city in Sweden, really, because you have such a big mix of people from all around the world and and people are are not as... uh, involved with the government is maybe the Umeå scene where, where, where Malmö is more independent and more eclectic and more underground and and on, on the streets. And I love Denmark for this too, because Denmark really hates Sweden. Like Den- Denmark, Denmark has always been like, like the, the rougher. I, I think that, I think that most people see Denmark also as like the rougher, uh, like Contra, like a political um, land where, where they just think that Sweden, Sweden is a bunch of wussies and like upper class too politically uh, correct bunch of nerds and Denmark is always like more more uh, mm, what's the word I'm looking for more uh, racy and like like more all over the place and like more hot-tempered and like doing everything they want and like the the, um, the area of Christiania is a, is a good example of this like just self-driven and and more like more of the style like the the anarchy and the uh, autonomous style that a lot of a lot of uh, like uh, um, engaged people in Sweden are, are promoting but they never get to it because they're like we're we're too safe and too uh accustomed to get to getting to getting like a government grants and stuff like that where Denmark has actually succeeded in in, in uh, that way and Malmö is a uh, more influenced by that and than by the rest of, of Sweden so I think a lot of people look to that but they can't manage it in the end Denmark Denmark is way more hardcore and better in that way so I, I love Denmark for that and I love Malmö you can also see that also 
just what kinds of hardcore bands and punk bands coming out of Malmö, they're like a thousand percent more real than than any of the other stuff where, where people like still come from academic families and stuff and, and like go to the universities well Malmö is like the real deal mm-hmm. big up to like bands like Horda Tider and Slöja Knivar and stuff like that they're, they're the best Swedish hardcore bands mm-hmm. yeah there's a, a band that I've uh, had on Scorch Chandra called Pyramido and there are three librarians in the band <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Case in point, right? Um, and I, I've I, I noticed that too in uh, in my kind of exp- musical explore- exploration of Scandinavia is that I did find uh, a ton more hardcore from that region, especially from Denmark in general, as opposed to um, the, the metal scene. And I had kind of always put it. Uh, more towards like the Ungdomshuset movement and to the like more punk roots. Um, I hadn't uh, I hadn't made the full like cultural egalitarianism uh, perspective, but that makes that makes a lot of sense. And again, like a lot of my experiences from spending time in Copenhagen. So there's probably some crazy shit going on in Jutland that I'm not aware of. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like the, yeah, the the music from there and from Malmö as well is is way more punk influenced than than like it's not a not a lot of metal metal hardcore bands from there. Mm-hmm. That's more the um, music school people, you know, the ones that can actually play. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't think you need to play. I'm I'm more with the attitude of of the Malmö and where where you like hardcore and punk is supposed to be. Yeah, and also yeah, I don't know a, any genre. Even even today, like the newer stuff, you're not supposed to. I I don't think that. Uh, I don't think that being good at, at an instrument is is the most important thing. No, I mean I agree with that. I think even if you look back at some of the most successful bands in the history of music, most weren't uh, professionally trained musicians. You know, they were just kids who had an attitude and wanted to do something that they they felt really strongly about and because because they felt so strongly about it you know they were successful whether they wanted that or not it just happened right i mean yeah it's also yeah it's just about energy and 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 like in the end it's entertainment mm-hmm. you don't go to a show to watch the guy watch a guy play his seven string eight string guitar in a t-shirt looking down on his instrument not moving mm-hmm. you're looking for someone to like climb the ceiling and throw their guitar into the drums and and like set himself on fire mm-hmm. or, or like like someone climbing and crushing the synth on on her head right i mean you can even look at nirvana you know kurt yeah. couldn't play guitar for shit, but he no. could write songs and yeah. he could argue whether or not he was a good singer or not. I think he sung the way he did because it was the only way he knew how to sing. Um, and people but, forget that. People yeah. forget that. It's not just a, yeah. Anyways, that's, a, that's <laughs> that, that is another one. <laughs> I'm just encouraging everyone to stop practicing. Yeah. And, start learning to dance and play with pyrotechnics and, and stop, stop playing scales at home. 
but the other encouraging thing to say too is that, you know don't like set a standard for yourself you know you are who you are and the music you make is what you're going to make and don't you know just put it out there and feel strongly about it and i feel people connect with that you know yeah i think that's the most important thing yeah and i think more now more, now more than ever also you you want personalities because everything is tied into your people go for someone who's so who has like a strong social media presence or that people can like this is a really unique uh, person doing this and i feel like i know this person and i have a lot of other content than just an album or or a record mm-hmm. you, ha- you have someone putting up videos or making merchandise or talking to fans or, and stuff like that it's become more important than that not just someone who has a sound mm-hmm. let's uh let's kind of uh fast forward to the umeo scene to today in the sense of uh who is still kind of active in the scene uh today that are that you would people that you would consider to be colleagues are they active in music or are people finding kind of new ways to express themselves uh or to express kind of the sentiments that they felt uh like you were talking about uh an activist that may uh choose something different in the grocery store for example who do you who are you still in contact with that is uh is active and is that a large percentage of people yeah i think the, the people that i have contact with is still like the older guard Pe- people that are my age and, and older and most of them still listen to music and consume music but maybe not going to shows as much especially not now um but still have the the majority of people i think we, uh, the the reason why holdekta and, and our wave of the scene got so popular was also because the b- people came out again for nostalgic reasons older people came out as well as new people because they were reminded of the scene where, where they were 12 years old and going to refuse show so i think we we also brought in that bunch and, and when that died they had no reason to go back to shows i think no i think there now during this year we had one live stream where there were a bunch of younger bands that i don't really um know personally but it's still not like a big new scene popping up where where shows are happening and a bunch of people are are doing that maybe someone maybe someone might get uh, offended by my by my look at it but i i haven't seen like no no big band from umi has, has popped up recently with uh with young people playing hardcore mm-hmm. so it's not much it's it's more it's more just like people people who grew up during the 90s and still have a, a bunch of those values uh now but not being active in the in the scene it's it's more mm-hmm. it's more it's more active bands younger bands here from stockholm and from the south mm-hmm feel we 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 uh, recently had a a band called Speedway here from Umeå being signed to like one of the big classic uh hardcore record labels in the US and and putting out stuff and being recognized in, in podcasts and some we- and w- on uh, uh websites uh in the US that's the mm. most recent example Speedway so unfortunately 
maybe I'm hoping for the fourth wave, but maybe I, I'm hoping for the fourth wave of, of Umi Hardcore uh, being like bands like Horror and, and, and uh, Ghost Main and Suicide Boys. Yeah. Hoppy. Yeah. Ba mm -hmm. Even Baby Metal. Like that sort of stuff. Just incorporating something new and, and building your band around something fun or your art artistry. Mm -hmm. I live in the I live in the hardcore world still. It's the most important stuff for me to do. Like, I sit I sit here, and I I sit and illustrate, from when I wake up at like, three four in the morning, until I go to sleep at night. I listen to hardcore music. I I want to listen to podcasts all day long from the hardcore scene, like, Axe to Grind and a bunch of those hardcore podcasts where I just get involved with the hardcore scene and I communicate with hardcore bands and. That's, mo that's, that's the biggest part of my life. And I'm so thankful for that. Like if I didn't have, if I didn't choose to call myself straight edge, I would have, I would have like died from an overdose many, many, many years ago. But just having that connection to someone else just through the hardcore scene and being involved in a scene like that, where you have like a, a smaller subculture where you feel, I still, even now when I live in Stockholm and I see like a, a girl walking by with a hardcore shirt in the, the big city, like among thousands of other people, I always go up to them and talk to them. I talk to everyone I see with a hardcore shirt and like something hardcore related. It's so tightly bound where, where I still feel a connection to someone. Could be someone from anywhere, just doing anything else, just someone Someone walking by with an Earth Crisis shirt. I, you know, I love that person already. I have to talk to them still. And that doesn't happen with any other genre or, or subculture uh, for me. So hardcore is the most important thing I have in, in my life, connecting me to, to the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. Feel mm -hmm. Even though I'm involved with so much else, like the hip-hop scene and soda scene and blah, 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 everything else. Hardcore is the, the basis of my living still, even... If I don't go to every show or, or, or involve myself in, in the ways I used to, I don't, you know, I, I'm not playing with any band or something like that, but hardcore is maybe more important to me now than, than ever. It's my, one of my, my most important lifelines. Yeah. It, the, the feeling that I really kind of get is that for you, it's, it's not just like a scene, it's intuition. Like it's uh, it's something that uh, there's something that has certain principles that guide you that shoegaze doesn't do for someone, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where it's a more wide wider range of people, maybe, and and you don't talk and feel connected to anyone in that scene, even though it's like a scene. And it doesn't have to do with straight edge. These things more an abstract thing, but just hardcore because hardcore involves a lot of different people as well. Like most of the people aren't straight edge or in the U S not even vegetarian or vegan. It doesn't have to do with that. It just have to, has to do with hardcore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love it. Thank you. Hardcore for saving my life every day, every day. <laughs> mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, I think, uh, I think we've covered some good ground today and yeah. uh, we're, Really, really happy that you were able to to join us today, Mark. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you. you.
been lovely mm -hmm. talking to you. Thank you so much. Likewise, yeah. I hope to get some soda for you, some Swedish soda for you soon. Yeah. Blueberry soda, lingonberry soda, Yule must, all those stuff. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> and, oh, and if anyone wants to see my illustrations, it's at instagram.com slash mark.ua. M-A-R-C dot U-A. Cool. Yeah, with, with that, uh, do you have any, I mean, I think you, you posed some really great final words here, but any, uh, any last plugs or uh, final words for the audience here? No, that's it. I hope soda survives. That's it. No more tonics, <laughs> no more, uh, no more infused stuff, just sugary drinks with colorful uh, packaging. Beautiful. Excellent. <laughs> Drinking stuff just for the fun of it, just with, as with beer. There you go. It doesn't have to be functional. Exactly. <laughs> Life is not supposed to be functional, it, it only fun. <laughs> Life whatever is you, definitely not functional, do. that's for sure. Nothing in the world is functional, Nothing. so no. your drink should not be. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, cool. thank you so much right. for joining us, Mark. And thank uh, you. yeah, we'll see you all next week. Thank you. Thanks to Mark for discussing his experience in the Umeå hardcore scene check out the episode notes where you'll find a Spotify playlist companion for the series, including Mark's bands, Halde Ekta and Lesra, and links to Mark's illustrations, which are vivid and reflect the energy he exudes. Listeners in Sweden can find Mark's illustrations on a number of soda and beer bottles available in grocery stores and at the Sistium Belaget. In part three of this series, Suzanne Odell joins us to discuss Umeå Hardcore Archive, its collection, and how she's approached documenting the movement. That episode goes up March 9th. Take care. See you next time. Mm -hmm.